After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Rob, and if I haven't met you, I'd love to do that. So come down front sometime, just say hello. True story, we were about to start the first service. I was in the back room. We had just prayed with our worship team. My cell phone buzzed, and it was a text message from my mom. My parents live in South Carolina, but they often watch online, and she'll sometimes text me saying, we're watching, you know, praying for you, which is really sweet. This time she said, an hour less sleep, tired, but still praying for you, (laughs) which was really sweet. But the funniest part about that was I read the hour less sleep, and literally I thought, wait, why does she have an hour less sleep? And then I thought, we had a time change. That moment as our first service was starting was the very first moment that I remembered that we had a time change. And then my brain went to, I'm an hour late because I forgot to change my clock. And then I realized I'm not an hour late. I'm right on time. No one said anything to me about being late. The first service is about to start. Then I thought, how did that happen? And I realized the miracle of technology. My phone did it automatically without me even thinking about it, which, which terrified me in a way. But that's my story of this morning. Uh, we had um, Ellie Venable get baptized in our first service this morning. That's why we have a baptismal up here. I want to show you some pictures of the baptism because I want you to experience it too, even though you all weren't there in the first service. You see Ellie uh, in the water. I've seen a couple other pictures. Uh, many of you know the Venable family, Dan and Lisa, her parents, They've been through an awful lot. And, and I, I mention this because they're a dear part of our family of faith and they've suffered, suffered great loss and great tragedy. Their son, Sebastian, died several years ago. A uh, young man um, who lost his life way too early and this family has been reeling and they've been grieving and this morning they got to celebrate. And it was a picture of resurrection life, and death and life and Following Jesus means both, and it was just a beautiful picture of God's grace in Ellie's heart and Ellie's life, and I'm so glad that we can celebrate that. So, so I, I share these pictures with you because we're we're a family of faith, and uh, we're in two services. I understand that, but many of you know the Venables, and I want you to celebrate with them today, and I want you to be with them in this moment, and we give God all the glory for what He's done in their family's life. Amen. I also share this with you because the picture of baptism connects to our text this morning. We're in John chapter six, so go ahead and open up to John chapter six if you haven't already. And we're gonna cover the last part of John chapter six. It's the longest chapter in John's gospel. It represents a very significant transition point in the ministry of Jesus geographically from Galilee to Judea, the first six chapters of John's gospel primarily center around his ministry in the Galilee region. The rest of John's gospel is gonna primarily center around his ministry in Judea, which is the area of Jerusalem. It's a turning point personally as ministry shifts from the crowds to the 12. This morning's text, we're gonna see how and why that happened, why Jesus' ministry started big 
and then got small before it got big again. We're going to talk about that this morning. The chapter covers roughly 24 hours from the feeding of the 5,000 until this morning's text. And, and I want to walk back through it just really briefly. You remember he did this incredible miracle, maybe his best known miracle of all. Feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And then the, right after the feeding of the 5,000, the people wanted to make him king. Like they literally wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so he slipped out of their grasp. He went up to the mountains to pray and he sent his disciples into the boat and he sent them right into a storm. And he was watching them up on the mountain while they were struggling at the oars on the sea in this storm and they were terrified. And then he came down in the middle of the night, came walking on the water to them and that scared them even more. They thought he was a ghost. And then he reassured them and he got in the boat with them to show them that there's power in his presence. And immediately they got to where they were traveling to. And that was the night after the feeding of the 5,000. The next morning, the crowd on the other side of the lake where Jesus had fed the 5,000 said, where did he go? We want another meal. They couldn't find him. They walked all the way across to Capernaum. They found him in Capernaum. He's in the synagogue teaching, and they ask him, hey, where were you? How did you get here? And Jesus uses that as an opportunity to teach his most divisive message of his three years of ministry. He said, I'm the bread of life. This profound, incredible, amazing, but, but almost incomprehensible statement. What is he talking about? And then he goes on as the, the sermon just gets deeper and deeper and harder and harder. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Those are hard words to swallow. Last week, Lloyd gave us a great taste of that as he taught about the tension between God's sovereignty and our free will has to be one of the hardest and most debated theological concepts in Christianity. Do we choose to follow Jesus or does Jesus choose us? Or do we choose to get saved? Or are we part of this elect and free will and predestination? We get tangled up with all these words and ideas. And I thought Lloyd last week did an excellent job, both with courage and grace, of saying, the answer is yes, we do choose and he chooses. Rob, how do those both go together? I can't answer it for you. Go back and listen to Lloyd's message last week. He did a really good job. Now, I did hear he put my email address on the, on the screen if you had any questions. I guess you all got it because nobody emailed me, or maybe hopefully you emailed Lloyd. No, but, but this morning's text is going to continue to walk in that tension, and we'll unpack it a little bit. It's not the main idea in this morning's text. But, but the answer is yes. God chose you. And certainly from our perspective, we choose to follow him, and we're going to talk about that this morning. So the chapter finishes with our text today, and here's what we're going to see. The aftershock of the divisive message. What happened after the storm, you know, now the figurative storm of the words of Jesus that shook the audience. What happened after that storm passed through? We're going to see the effect on the broader group of disciples and the effect on the 12. 
And I just want us to focus on two things this morning. I'll put them on the screen. Two lessons from this morning's text. Following Jesus requires faith. Following Jesus requires a decision. We'll break the text into two parts. Part one, following Jesus requires faith. Part two, following Jesus requires a decision. Let's look at part one, verses 60 to 65. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Let's just walk through this verse by verse. Let's start back in verse 60, the first verse. Notice this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? The word listen stood out to me when I studied the text because I expected this is a hard saying, who can understand it, who can comprehend it, who can make sense of it. That's not the word. The word is who can listen to it. In other words, who can receive it? Who can welcome it? Who who cannot change the radio dial to a different station? (laughs) You see, I, I have to imagine a lot of the people when they were getting healed by Jesus and they were getting fed by Jesus with the multiplication of the bread and the fish, they loved that Jesus. They wanted to follow that Jesus. And then he starts teaching them and he's saying these very, very profound but difficult and, and curious things. And they say, who can accept that? Who can listen to that? I don't like that type of dissonance in my own heart. I think that's human nature for us to want to hear things that we like to hear. Jesus doesn't always say things we like to hear. Jesus knows the grumbling. He uses as an opportunity in verse 61 to ask them a question. Now, he's, he's asking the question of the disciples, but as you'll see, that's more than the 12. There's a broader group of people that were following him around. And so when you hear the disciples in this context, probably thinking of you know, 40, 50, 60, 80, maybe even more than that people. Here's what Jesus asks them. The questions of Jesus are always important. Do you take offense at this? Now, this is the first time this word offense has come into play. It's an interesting word. I did some research on it. In the Greek, the root word translated here is uh, the word that's the little stick that holds up an animal trap. And so that when the animal comes, you know, imagine like a, a spike or a board or some kind of contraption or a box leaning on the stick. And the animal goes after the bait and moves the stick. The stick falls and the trap falls on the animal. That, the word for that little stick is the word offense. So we might paraphrase this. Are you triggered at this? Are you triggered by this? You take offense at this? Now, what in the world could have triggered these people to to grumble and complain? What what could have entrapped them? At first, you think, oh, it's because he's just talking about something weird and gross. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's just disgusting. Get me out of here. I think there's more going on than that. I think they understood enough of what he was saying when he says, I'm the bread of life, 
to understand he's claiming to be all in all. He's claiming to be God himself. Remember, I am the bread of life is the first of seven I am statements. And each one of those I am statements in John's gospel, he's proclaiming his unique identity as God in the flesh. And then he's saying something about what that means. So in this case, I am the bread of life means I am God in the flesh. And that means I am everything for you. I am your source. I am your sustenance. I am the only place where you're going to find life. And if you try to satisfy yourself and fill yourself with food from any other source, you will have no life in you. I think they understood that and they're offended by it. They're triggered by it. Then I started thinking about me and us. I think we get triggered anytime Jesus claims that kind of authority over our lives. We kind of like Jesus in the Sunday morning box of Jesus. We kind of like Jesus in the, when I'm in the mood for Jesus music, I can dial in on the radio. And when I'm not, I don't. We kind of like Jesus where when life is going well, I'm a fan. When life is hard, I'm not his. I'm not his guy. You, you, you know where I'm going with this. Do you take offense at Jesus' claim to be your bread of life? Look at the next verse with me. If you take offense at this, Jesus is saying, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, where is he going with this? This is a little puzzling that he just went to the ascension, I think. But, but I think this is what he's saying. If you're offended at my claim to, to deity, you need to remember who I really am, that, that, I, that I'm not from here, that, that ultimately I came from the place of the Father, and I will return there. And so if this is hard for you to believe, if it's hard for you to believe that I'm more than just what your eyes can see, that I'm more than just flesh and blood, then, then, then how are you gonna feel when you see me someday ascend back up to where I came from? This will make more sense, I think, when we keep going in verse 63. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I think, I think what he's saying with the flesh is no help at all is like you, you have to, to lean on the spirit more than your own flesh, more than what your eyes can see. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Here's what's going on. Jesus is wanting to move them past sight and into faith. In other words, he's saying, I want you to believe in something that you can't yet see with your own eyes and can't yet taste with your own mouth. Yes, I gave you bread yesterday. Yes, I fed you then and you came to me this morning and wanted more bread. And, and, and my answer is, I am the bread and you need to eat me. And unless you're willing to go one step beyond your own comprehension to step off the ledge into faith, unless you're willing to have faith, you won't get it. 
Jesus, if you notice, is always doing this with people. They, they want to believe in him just because of the miracles, and then he always puts a twist on something to say, listen, you, you, you need to go past what your eyes can see. You need to believe who I am, not just what I can do. Dare to believe, he's saying. Trust my words more than your own eyes. Your eyes tell you that I'm nothing but flesh and blood. My words are saying I am that and so much more that I am God himself and I will one day ascend back up to where I came from. Will you believe that? Faith is always a leap. Your intellect can only take you so far. Your eyes can only take you so far. Jesus was never interested in proving beyond a shadow of a doubt who he was. He would give just a little taste and then he'd say, now I want you to believe. I want you to have faith just based on that little bitty thing. So how many times in our lives we look back and we say, oh, what Jesus did in my life back in the day, you know, that one time he did that wonderful thing in my life. Man, I wish he would do that more so that I would believe in him. This is the same thing. He, he, gave, he gave some bread the day before. They want more. And now he's saying, no, I want you to, I'm gonna push you to faith. So what's your, what's your step of faith? What's your ledge of faith? How is Jesus pushing you into faith? Could be a hard circumstance in your life. Like surely God, if he loved me, he wouldn't bring this in my life. It could be something that you long to have and you don't have. And Jesus is always gonna push you right up on the edge of faith. And he's gonna say, I want you to believe I am who I say I am, even when I'm not providing all the things you're asking me for. Jesus is always pushing us up to faith because following Jesus requires faith. So that's the first thing you have to have if you're gonna follow Jesus. And these disciples are learning this. You have to have faith. You must be willing to take a leap beyond what your eyes can see because your eyes can't see him right now, can they? My eyes can't. <laughs> Sometimes I think if I could just see him, if I could just have seen a miracle, if I could have touched the nail scars like Thomas, then, then it would be so much easier to follow him. I don't know that that's always true. You're about to see that people who saw him do miracles and ate the bread that he provided are about to leave. Following Jesus requires faith and it, there's something else it requires too and that's a decision. Let's look at the second part of our text. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. See, he went too far. He went too far for them. They couldn't follow him with their faith. So Jesus said to the 12, okay, now this is the subset of the disciples. This is the 12. Do you want to go away as well? There's another question of Jesus. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the 12? and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Okay, we'll get to the Judas stuff later. I know you're interested in that, okay? I am too. But I wanna back up, and, and I wanna walk this out with you verse by verse. Many of his disciples left, the crowds are gone. Even those that had been following him around, you know, the greater number of them, they're gone. And all that's left is the 12. And Jesus comes to them and he asks them a question. Do you want to go away as well? You don't need to read anger or judgment into that. I actually think Jesus is giving them an opportunity. 
He's sort of saying, now's the time for you to make a decision. I, I, I know you've been drawn to me because of the miracles or the things I've done, but, but now you've heard as far as my teaching goes, the, the difficulty where this is going to lead you. Are you coming or is it time for you to go? When I was little, when my cousins would come over, we used to always have a debate. The girls would wanna watch Pollyanna and the boys would wanna watch Davy Crockett. And those were like the two movies that we would love to watch. And uh, we, we would, you know, have arguments over it. But when we'd watch Davy Crockett, I've watched that movie like 100 times. This is the, the Disney Davy Crockett, you know, the old one with Fess Parker as Davy Crockett, the, um, the purely historical account of the life of Davy, Davy Crockett. <laughs> But you get to that Alamo scene the night before the big battle and the whole Mexican army is surrounding the Alamo and they've just gotten word that there's no reinforcements on the way. And Colonel Travis pulls out his sword. He gathers the men. He draws a line in the sand. You know, Supposedly, this actually really happened. Man, who knows? Maybe it's a legend. But he drew a line in the sand. He said, God, you know, this is your opportunity to leave. And I understand if you do Implication, none of us are coming out of here alive. If you cross this line, you will die. You'll die in glory, but you'll die. Who's with me? Picture Jesus doing that for his disciples at this moment, for the twelve. He's actually giving them a gift here. The gift is not so much an escape clause, you know, although the implication is they could have left. The, the gift is he's giving them a moment where they can say, we crossed the line, we're all in, our fate lies with Jesus. Now, what's their answer? Peter answers him. Now, you have to understand something in Peter's response, verse 68 we, we, and then look at verse 70. Jesus answered them. What's going on here? Peter is speaking for the group. There's no question about this. Peter is not just speaking for himself. He's speaking for the group. This is the first time we've clearly seen Peter emerge as a leader of the 12, and that's gonna continue to play out in the gospel and then beyond. I imagine here's what happened, and I can't prove this, but it makes sense. I imagine that when the larger group of disciples all started grumbling and complaining about the teaching of Jesus, and many of them said, I think I'm out of here. I've had enough. This guy is weird. I imagine the 12 huddled up. What are we gonna do? And I imagine Peter speaking up. And Peter saying, guys, did we learn the lesson from the feeding of the 5,000 when we didn't know how to feed these people and Jesus himself fed them? Guys, did we learn the lesson last night when we were on the water and we thought we were gonna die and he came to us to show he was with us all along and his power is what's gonna get us through this? Guys, have we not heard him say, I'm the only source of life? Do we not believe him based on what we've seen? Do we not have faith? Let's go. And so when the question comes, Peter's ready and he speaks for the group. Lord, what a good way to begin a sentence. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. They got the message. That's the whole idea 
of chapter six. There's nowhere else that you're gonna find life except in Jesus. Not real life, not the kind of life that your soul longs for. It is only in him. And Peter speaks for the 12 and he speaks for us. Where else shall I go? You ever been at that point in your life with Jesus? The point you'd say, Jesus, why would you even bring me to this place? I don't like where I am. But there's nowhere else to go. That's a beautiful place to be. That's a place where you know the faith the, the, the seed of faith that the Spirit placed in you has taken root. And it is starting to take a hold of you. They get it. They make a decision. They cross over the line in the sand. Our fate, Jesus, is with you. Come what may. That's the decision that every follower of Jesus faces. Following Jesus requires a decision. Really quickly notice what he says. We have believed first and come to know second. We have believed and come to know. Sometimes we want it the other way around. We want proof and then we'll believe. Peter says, we've believed and as we believe, we've come to know. It, it re reminds me of, of what Anselm, in, uh, 1000 AD theologian, he described theology as faith seeking understanding. Not the other way around. Theology doesn't work the other way around. It's not, hey, I, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna prove that Jesus is who he says he is and then I'll believe. No, it's faith-seeking understanding. Augustine said it this way, unless you will believe, you will not understand. There's mystery in that, but that seems to be the, the order that God is calling us to. Take a leap, take a step of faith, and then come to know you were right. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love Jesus' answer, verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? Just pause there for a minute. We'll get to that last part in a second. Do you remember Lloyd last week? He's talking about the tension between God's sovereignty and our choice. And he said, it's like a door, that on the outside of the door, there's a sign that says, whosoever believes. And you're like, it's my choice. I choose to believe. And you open the door and you walk through the door and there's a sign on the other side of the door that you couldn't see before. It said you were chosen from before the foundation of the world. Do you see that playing out right now in this text? Peter says, we are choosing to stay with you. And then Jesus says, did I not choose you? The 12. The only ones who stayed, Jesus chose them ahead of time and he's been investing in them. He's been intentionally doing things in their lives, knowing that they would get to the point of no return and they would choose him. Why do you think the miracle when he walked on the water was just for them? Jesus knew what he was doing. He was preparing them for this moment. He chose them and they chose him. A note about being chosen. 
God's choosing people throughout scripture is always about choosing them as instruments of his purposes. You're never chosen because, oh, I just want you to be extra specially blessed and chosen and you're my favorite. That's not how God works. God chose the nation of Israel. Why? Why one nation? Why one extended family of people among all the earth? So that Genesis chapter 12, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Why did God choose one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel from the Messiah to come from? So that all of Israel and ultimately all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Jesus Christ and the opportunity of salvation that's available to all who believe. Why did Jesus choose 12? Only to focus on and invest in and to cross this line at this moment in time. Were there only 12 that were gonna be saved? No, he chose those 12 to use them as instruments to get the word out. And here you and I are 2,000 years later because of the ministry of the 12. You understand what I'm saying here? Let's not have pride in being God's chosen ones. Let's realize we're chosen to be instruments. We're chosen for a purpose. This is how God's choosing works. Now, quick comment on Jesus' words, yet one of you is a devil, speaking of Judas. I don't think Jesus was, in fact, I know Jesus was not saying Judas is Satan incarnate. That's not what he's saying here. And Jesus is speaking about Satan's influence on Judas. And I have to say something here that to stretch us a little bit. You know, dare you say, um, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not Judas. There's another time in the Gospels that Jesus says something very similar, only not to Judas, to Peter. Mark chapter 8, Peter's other shining moment where he speaks for the group as the leader. Um, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they kick around some ideas. And then Jesus looks at the 12. He says, who do you say that I am. And Peter speaks for the group, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And that's the right answer. And, and Jesus affirms that answer. And then Jesus starts talking about, and that's right. And so I'm going to die and I'm going to suffer because I've come for that purpose. And Peter steps in and says, no, not you, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. So here he's referring to Judas as a devil. He's referring later to Peter as Satan. What in the world is going on here? I like the way D.A. Carson put it. He said, the supreme adversary of God so operates behind failing human beings that his malice becomes theirs. The supreme adversary of God operates behind failing human beings so that his malice becomes theirs. How do you think Satan has any power, influence, authority on this world? You, you, think, you think Satan is the one that controls the weather? You think Satan is the one that, that, that causes earthquakes? Oh no, oh no. Satan's only tool is to deceive human beings. Satan's power is as a liar. And so there's this time where, where Jesus is, is knowing everything's about to come down and, and he knows 
Peter is gonna deny him. He knows Peter's gonna fall flat on his face. And you know what Jesus says to Peter ahead of time? He says, Peter, Satan is desiring to sift you like wheat. Like Satan's desiring to take you out of the game. But I am praying for you, Jesus says. And I want you to have confidence, men and women. Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. He is praying for you because Satan would desire, as D.A. Carson is saying here, to, to work behind failing human beings like me, like you, so that Satan's malice becomes ours. May it not be. May, not, may we not be used as tools and instruments of the enemy of God. Notice that the temptation is strongest when the path is hard. When Jesus tells us things we don't like or leads us places we don't like, the temptation is to turn away. Both Judas and Peter failed. Peter was restored. Peter stayed close enough to Jesus and he allowed Jesus to enter back into his life. There is, of course, a tension here. And Jesus says, did I not choose you the 12? He doesn't say, did I not choose you the 11? And one of you is a devil. He says, did I not choose you the 12? And one of you is a devil. I can't explain all that went on in the heart of Judas. Uh, no one can. Scripture makes it clear that Satan was at work in him. Many scholars believe that it may have been this very moment in time that this teaching of Jesus that started Judas down a track of doubting, of questioning, that would ultimately lead him to betray Jesus. But what I want you to remember this morning is that Jesus knew exactly what was happening. And he chose Judas anyway. He actually used Judas's betrayal. And in, in, in we can debate on, on whether Judas would have had an opportunity had, had he stayed around, if he would have had an opportunity to be restored by Jesus. We could debate that in the scripture. That's not today's purpose, but I want you to know Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He always knows exactly what he's doing. And he has chosen you for his purposes to use you. And he invites you to stay close to him and say yes and not turn away. Following Jesus requires faith. Following Jesus requires a decision. And what we're going to see in the rest of John's gospel is the implication of this moment in the lives of these 12 men. They're choosing faith. They made a decision to follow Jesus and it's gonna get hard. But they're gonna come out on the other side, all but one. They're gonna come out on the other side and Jesus is gonna use them to change the world. Our invitation throughout this series is what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to take that leap of faith, to cast our lot with him? Every week we read the scripture and then we say, this is the living word of God for us today. And I'm reminded that we are the disciples of Jesus in our time and place. We need to put ourselves in the sandals of these men. Jesus is speaking to us every week through this text. This morning, here's what he's saying. Following me requires faith. And following me requires a decision. And so 
how I wanna end our service this morning. We do have one more song to sing, but before we do, I just wanna lead you in a prayer. So I wanna invite the band to come out. I wanna invite you to go ahead and bow your head now. And, and I wanna give you, give me, give us an opportunity to make a decision. And, and, and here's the thing, there's different decisions that need to be made in the room. There's different steps of faith that need to be made in the room. And some of you in the room will take them and some of you in the room will not take them. I want you to know, either way, Jesus is not angry with you. Jesus loves you and he's calling you to cross a line of faith or trust or surrender. And so what I want you to do right now with your heads bowed and in a, in a state of prayer is I'm just gonna give you just a few moments as you think about this question. How is Jesus right now in your life bringing you right up to the ledge of your own understanding? Can you name the way that Jesus is calling you to step out in faith? And I wanna give you just 30 seconds or so right now just to try to name that in your own heart with Jesus. How is he calling you? What's the faith that he is calling you to right now? How is he calling you to step out? Go ahead and pray about that for a moment. to think about a decision that needs to be made in, in relationship to that. And, you know, for some of you that may be very clear and for others of you, so I'm not sure what the decision is, but I, I do know this, the decision involves trusting Jesus. Maybe for you, there's something in your life that you'd say, you know, I've been going to some other sources to try to get nourishment places apart from Jesus Christ to, to try to find food. And the decision that, that I need to make in faith this morning is to turn instead toward Jesus and, and trust that he is food. Maybe there's something difficult in your life and you're having a hard time trusting Jesus with it. You're having a hard time seeing his love in it, seeing his hand in it. You're resistant to the fact that Jesus might be leading you into the storm. Your decision this morning may be to say to Jesus, I will go where you go. There could be some this morning that your decision is actually to put your trust in Jesus for the first time in your life. You're not sure that you ever have done that. You known about Jesus, you believed in Jesus in a sense, but you've never thought about it from this standpoint that there is a, a, a leap of faith to take to, to say, I will no longer trust in my own understanding. I'm gonna believe that Jesus is God, that he died for my sins, and he was raised, literally raised from the dead so that I could have new life. And you're choosing 
to put your faith in that this morning. Even though you, your brain can't make sense of all that, but you believe and you're choosing faith this morning. Make that your choice. And so whatever it is, your, your choice of God's brought something to your heart, I, it may help you just to sort of imagine Jesus drawing a line and, and it may imagine the choice that you have to step over to his side of that line. So just, just imagine that right now. Say, say yes. Say yes. If you are able to say yes, say yes. Where else will I go? You have the words of life. And I have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Father, for the faith that you've given, we give you praise. And for the decisions that have been made, we give you praise. It is all to your glory. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing together.